much and God bless you. Take your Bible. Turn with me tonight to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter number 19. I uh, appreciate so much Brother Bloom inviting me to come on an annual basis, which we've done now for a number of years. And uh, I, I do need to say there was a couple of ladies this morning, and in fact, probably a half a dozen at this point, but a couple of ladies in particular, uh, one lady suggested, she said, uh, why, why didn't your wife come? I said, well, she, she didn't. <laughs> and, and, and she said, uh, she said I'm going to believe you don't even have a wife. And so, of course, I, uh, I had pictures that I whipped out on a prayer card and presented to her. And, uh, but uh, I was telling Betty about that, and she said, you tell them I'm going to do it one of these days. And I, I was out on the parking lot here a little while ago turning my camera around on the FaceTime to show her the hanging moss and all that stuff, you know, just trying to entice her. And uh, she, uh, she has some health issues that restrict her a little bit, a uh, good bit of the time, just stamina and other things. But, uh, but she can travel with me. I, <clears throat> I fly enough with Southwest Airlines that I have a companion pass that um, lets her go anytime she wants to or as often as she wants to. And so that, uh, that works out pretty good. And one of these days, when I can come and stay three or four or five days, she will come. It, it's when I do things like I've done this time. I got here at 10 o'clock last night. I'm leaving at 5.30 in the morning. And that's the kind of trip that she doesn't want to do. <clears throat> but, uh, but anyway, I, I've enjoyed being here again. I, I'm just uh, sad that <clears throat> Brother Bloom has been... Uh, uh, ill, but uh, hopefully uh, he is on the mend and getting getting kind of where he can get back to uh, everything back to normal. And uh, he said to me this afternoon in a text, uh, he said, "Be sure to uh, talk to the folks tonight about coming to the National Sword of the Lord Conference in July." Now you know he's pushed that, he's promoted that, and uh, and a number of you have done it. The last couple of years, there's been a pretty good little contingency of folks from Central Baptist who've been at the conference, and um, and I, I don't I don't know how to explain it to you other than to say if you come and get a taste of it, you'll want to come again. Uh, it's it's one of those events that is just absolutely special. The music, the preaching, the fellowship, <clears throat> the atmosphere, the the workshops, all kinds of things. And the good news is, the good news is. You can walk in the door. It doesn't cost you a dime. And we'll run the offering plate by you. <clears throat> but other than that, I mean, there, there's no registration fees, no advance registration. And uh, whether you put anything in the offering plate or not, you still got a seat. And, uh, and we're glad for you to be there. And we, we, we do that because we don't want to leave anybody out. And that's what we've been doing for a lot of years. And we just plan to keep on doing it that way. And so I hope that many of you will just, it's four days in July, this year 22nd through the 25th of July, starting on Monday night, finishing up Thursday night, and, and it's, it's a power-packed three, three and a half days, and lots of things up in that part of the country if you want to plug some vacation time around it, uh, things to see, things to do, and I hope many of you will plan to come and be with us. When I'm here the next time, if you come, you'll thank me. I know you will. Because it's that kind of an event. And do come by over the table. A bunch of you have already put uh, subscription envelopes on there. I said this morning, I say again, get an envelope. Talking about the paper, the sword of the Lord. It's going to come every two weeks to your mailbox. 
Put your name and address on there, and you put in the envelope whatever you want to put in it, and we'll be good. And I mean that sincerely. We want you to have the paper coming in your mailbox, have it at your house, and that's the way that I can be assured whether you put anything in the envelope or not. We, we get it to you. So uh, help us out here by filling out the envelope, and we'll get the paper coming your way. Now, let's look at the text in Acts chapter number 19. And uh, two, two segments of this tonight, starting in verse number 8. Uh, the setting here is at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul is um, there. And verse 8 says, He went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three years, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now let me pause simply to say, that is not an ecumenical meeting we just read about there. Now, uh, you say, well, Paul is a gospel preacher, he's a Christian, he's a preacher of the gospel, and he is in a Jewish synagogue, that sounds ecumenical, but it's not, and here's the reason why. The synagogues in those days, uh, they would have somebody stand up and read the Torah, the first five books of your Bible, read, read the law, some portion of it, the reader would sit down, and then anybody could stand up and make comments, say whatever they wanted to say. And that's the way Jesus went to the synagogues. That's the way Paul went to the synagogues. Now, I, I say that to say, they were not there by invitation. They were not there as guest speakers. They were not getting an honorarium. There was no travel expenses paid to them. I mean, they were not there at the behest of the rabbis. But as this passage will demonstrate, uh, they were there uh, challenging and confronting the Jews about what they were doing right there at the, at the time. So he goes on to, in fact, this verse says, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So, so he, he was not there trying to, uh, you know, just uh, talk about how nice everything was. He was there giving them some very pointed instruction. Verse 9 says that when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which, heard, uh, which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Drop down to verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear... Uh, fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, and we're talking about witchcraft and that uh, family of things there, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time, there arose no small stir about that way. Now, uh, if you notice in verse number 9, uh, that phrase, that way. Here again in verse 23, that way. Now, in verse 23, 
the preaching that uh, Paul was doing, the instruction, the, uh, the teaching that he was doing, uh, stirred things up. And it says, no small stir. That means there was a big ado. That means, I mean, th- things were uh, really, really a lot going on because of that. And it was all because of what's identified here as that way. Now, you say, well, uh, what, what, how does that apply? Uh, Paul is that way. He's of that way. You say, well, why is he that way? He's that way because of the way. The way, Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And because he is the way, then we become that way. Now, uh, you, you can't always, you can't always uh, determine what people are going to say about you and how they're going to identify you. For example, in the, uh, in the Gospels, you find that uh, those who went with Jesus uh, often were called disciples. Uh, whether they picked out that term or somebody else tagged them with it, I, I don't know. But they were pretty much called disciples. But you get to Acts chapter 11, and at Antioch, the Bible says, verse 26, that they were first called Christians at Antioch. And now then here they're being identified as that way. Now, why were they disciples? Because they were students of Christ. They were learning of Christ. Why were they called Christians? Because they were following Christ, patterning after Christ, uh, becoming like Him in many of the things that they were doing. And so they said, well, they are Christians. or uh, They may not be as, as big as He is, but uh, little as they are, they, they're, they're following Him. They're little, little Christians. Now, all, all of that being said... These names, these terms, they identify us, they define us. And uh, whatever people say about you, as you follow the Lord, whatever names that they throw at you, whatever that they give you, it does define you. Sometimes those same names will defame you. They'll defame you. It's like, uh, well, uh, you know, we're going to call you something because we don't like you. Now, the Bible says in another place that we ought to stir up the gift of God that is within us. And that stirring up uh, that comes because we know the way. And it, and it does create something within us that moves us and motivates us and changes us and drives us, compels us. And, and, the, and that, that creates a stir. I mean, it stirs us. And it stirs others because of that. Now, when they said here about these Christians, they are that way. Uh, not probably not a not a term that they intended to compliment them by using it, but at the same time, it it did say something important. You say, well, why 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 do Christians why do Christians create a stir? Well, you know, we get in the will of God, and that puts us often in uh, conflict with the will of the world. Uh, we cannot. Uh, make everything a Christian ought to do match up with everything the world wants to do. And as a result of that, when we get anchored, we get anchored in the Word of God, and we find out how a Christian is supposed to function, we begin to do His will, and it just creates friction. It creates sometimes some pressure. Now, you say, well, Christians create a stir. What, what is it about us that does that? Well, uh, let me suggest, uh, this morning in the Sunday school, uh, you were... Uh, dealing with these subjects about worldview. Well, uh, our philosophy, our worldview, 
creates a stir. Uh, we listened to this morning about a Christian view about alcohol. Now that does not match up with what's going on out in town. It just does not. Our philosophy, our worldview, creates a stir. You say, well, where did all that start? It all starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. <laughs> right there, we just got to stop for a minute. Because the world has figured out some other things, and they think that somehow or another, I mean, all of this just kind of happened. I, I, I laugh every time I hear somebody mention the Big Bang Theory. I, I laugh. Uh, now, I, I've seen some Big Bangs, you know, where dynamite went off, or where a gun goes off, uh, or uh, I guess the most definitive, well, I've been to a number of battlefields, but the most definitive one of those, I visited the bomb site in Hiroshima, Japan. And so I've seen some places where explosions took place. And in every single case, big bangs do not create order, they create disorder. They don't construct things, they destruct things. Uh, every time. So if there's some big cosmic explosion, that doesn't explain the perfect order of our universe. Uh, somebody I read somewhere, somebody said the likelihood of our well-ordered, timely, precisely ordered universe functioning on schedule as it does, the likelihood of that happening from a big bang it would be about like saying there was an explosion in a print factory and when you went to check it out, there was copies of an unabridged dictionary that uh, came about as a result of the, uh, of the explosion. Now, uh, you say, but you Christians don't go along with evolution. Not only don't go along with it, I mean, we go after it. We, we, we tag it. We name it and blame it. Because it is absolute, nonsensical, inane, poppycock, pseudo-intellectualism that is, I mean, it's nonsense. But that runs afoul of the world's ideology. And so they look at us and then they start picking at us and, and, and driving us. You say, well, why, why, why do you Christians believe that creation matter? Because we are that way. So our philosophy creates a stir. Our position on things creates a stir. You know, our Bible still has the Ten Commandments in it. Our Bible still has the book of Proverbs in it. Our Bible still has the Sermon on the Mount and the Epistles in it. And as a result of that, there are just a lot of things that we do and other things that we do not do because I mean, we, we take a position uh, I think the copy of the Sword of the Lord that we handed out today has a front page piece by the editor entitled Male and Female No More No Less <laughs> say what's all this what's all this hubbub about gender well again it's a bunch of nonsense because uh, it does not take a Ph.D. at a university somewhere to figure out that the human race, you got male and female, God made them that way, and it's no more and no less. Now, that, that position, however, 
that position uh, causes uh, stress. And we've got crowds of people in our world today who are putting pressure on us. Say, well, well why, why, do you fo- why can't you folks go along with the same-sex marriage? Why can't you go along with the homosexual thing? Because we are that way. The Christian way. We can't. Our philosophy, our position. You know, our practices create a stir. Uh, you, you probably didn't even think about it today. You just got up this morning and came to church. You got in your car again tonight and came to church. I promise you, there are people in your neighborhood who were watching out their big picture window. Now, some of them probably said, there goes those weird people again. They, they can't imagine, they can't imagine sitting where they sit. They can't imagine you sitting where you're sitting right now. Now, you say, what's the deal here? Our practices create a stir. I heard at lunch today that somebody paid $500 for a red velvet cake yesterday at that auction. (laughs) Somebody's going to hear that and they're going to say, Good night, what in the world? What makes those people tick? Well, I'll tell you what makes it tick. What what'd you tell me? 27 years you've been doing that? What what makes what makes that tick? Well, you already said a lot of folks putting their hand to the wheel and, and uh, helping and making it happen. But I'm telling you, the reason for that, the reason for that is because we are that way. We're that way. We've got a dream. We've got a vision. We've got, we've got a goal. We've got a project. We've got something we believe in. We are that way. So our, our practices create a stir. Our preaching creates a stir. I, I, I tell pastors groups that I speak to, I, I tell them preaching's fallen on hard times in America. Now, you, you get it here all the time. But I'm telling you, there's places all over the country where they don't get it. Because... They just don't get it. I mean, there are people holding seminars. And by the way, some of them are trying to be influential in our independent Baptist movement, try, trying to talk guys down and to get them to just be conversational and, and, you know, tone it down and don't get too excited and all that kind of uh, garbage. I, I'm telling you. Now, preaching, preaching creates a stir. You say, why is that? Because... When we preach, we try to lift Christ up. And, and Christ, yeah, he's kind of controversial out in the world. But we preach Christ. We expose the devil. You know, the devil, devil doesn't mind us, uh, you know, getting together and having a meeting as long, long as we don't tromp on his toes. <laughs> you know, the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. As, as a roaring lion. It doesn't say he's a lion. It says as. As a roaring lion, seeking whom we may devour. It also says we ought to resist the devil, and when we do, he'll flee. See, a lot of times, though, Christians get themselves a little bit intimidated. Say, oh, the devil's really camped on my doorstep. I'm telling you what, you see him coming to your neighborhood, you, as a Christian, you ought to stand up unintimidated and unafraid, and you ought to cry out to that one that's pretending to be a lion, and you ought to say, here, kitty, kitty, here, kitty, kitty, and give him the business. You say, why can we do that? Because we are that way. 
that way, that way. Even our praying creates a stir. Pray for little things and get it. Pray for big things and get it. And then you tell folks, God answered your prayer. And again, sometimes out in the world, they, oh, you know, they'll, they'll try to water it down some way. But you and I keep praying. We keep getting answers to prayer. I'm glad that I'm in over my head. Really. I'm glad that I'm in deep enough and, and a lot of things that I have to have the help of God. And so I keep talking to my Heavenly Father. And I try to tell him the things that I'm into and what I need. Now, we, we, we get answers to prayer. You say, why do we do that? Because we're that way. Our priorities. Why, why do we go out and knock on doors? Why do we run the bus route? Why do we have a nursery? Why do we have a Christian school? Well, it's our priorities. We're trying to reach people, trying to save people, trying to get people ready for heaven, trying to, trying to help families, all of the things that we're into. Why, why do we do that? We're that way. We're attached to Him who is the way, and thus we are that way. Now, all, all of that being said, really, folks, uh, cre- creating a stir is necessary. It is necessary. In our world, for us to just get along with everything that's going on is not the way to do it. I heard about a fellow was driving through town in a truck. About every block and a half, he would stop, get out of the truck, take a baseball bat, beat on the side of the truck, get back in the truck and drive another block and a half, get out and beat on the side of the truck, drive another block and a half, get out and beat on the side of the truck. And one of the local policemen saw him. And he watched him. Finally, he flipped the blue light on, pulled the guy over, nervous truck driver, said, oh, officer, officer, what did I do? What did I do? He said, I don't know what you're doing. But he said, there is something going on here. He said, I've watched you five times get out of that truck, beat on the side of the truck, drive another block and a half, get out and beat on the side of the truck. He said, now tell me what that's all about. And the little truck driver said, oh, my officer said, if that's all it is, He said, you see, officer, he said, this is only a 10-ton truck. And he said, I got 20 tons of canaries on this truck, and I got to keep 10 tons of them flying all the time to keep them being overweight. I'm I'm confident Dr. Dr. Bloom's watching this. Dr. Bloom, (laughs) beat on the truck, dear pastor. Beat on the truck. Keep it stirring, amen. You've been around here enough to know he is keeping it stirred, amen? <laughs> Something going on all the time. It's necessary. Listen, the status quo doesn't have much to quo about. And we need to keep it, keep it moving, keep it moving. I mean, after all, we've got prototypes throughout the Bible. Can you imagine the day that Moses went to see the Pharaoh and said, uh, in fact, I, I, I think probably in the Hebrew text it comes out this way. I, I think he probably went to him and said, hey, uh, hey, dude, we're, we're about to be out of here. Uh, you say, well, what, what, what kind of a stir? Hey, look, just read the text. Man, that, that threw, I mean, everything was thrown into chaos. 
ultimately, a bunch of them drowned in the Red Sea, remember. Moses created a stir. Uh, remember the stir Nehemiah cremated, uh, cremated, came, <laughs> created. <laughs> when he came back home, a lot of the folks had already come back. They'd been there for a while. And, and nobody was doing anything about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. That great wall was down and, and the city was in shambles. Nehemiah came back and uh, he began to stir things up. I mean, I can hear him now. Build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. <laughs> By the way, that's the only reason Jerusalem survived for hundreds of years. Now, hey, listen, he stirred things up. Jeremiah, at a time when his nation was, was uh, crumbling morally and spiritually, Jeremiah said, down in, in my bones, burning like a fire, like a fire in my bones. He could not be contained. He could not stop. He could not quit. But he continued to stir things. Old Amos spoke up and he said, can two walk together except they be agreed? That didn't go down well with everybody. John the Baptist faced off with a wicked ruler and, and uh, you know, you say, well, hey, that cost him pretty bad. There's always a price. There's always a price. There would be no Central Baptist Church if somebody, somebody again and again and again and again paid the price over the years for a church to exist and to thrive as this one has done through the years. So yes, we stir things up and we do it on purpose. That way, we do it because we are that way. You see, that, that way, that Acts 19 taught, I mean, that way takes the Bible word for word seriously. That way walks the straight and narrow. That way stands unapologetically to contend for the faith. That way confronts the worldly culture with a message of repentance. That way preaches boldly to crowds large and small. That way takes the heat, takes the pressure, withstands the critics, the cranks, refuses the cult of compromise. That way continues faithful summer, winter, fall, and spring. That way punts discouragement like a football. That way can be counted in Counted on, but never counted out. Because that way, runs the race, sees the goal, carries the baton, passes the torch, and believe me, there is therefore no small stir about that way. You say, well, why do, why do they call you folks fundamentalists? Well, we just take the Bible seriously. We're that way. Uh, well, well why, why do they call you Baptists? Well, because of what we do. Folks get saved, we baptize them, and so they, they call us Baptists. We say, well, why, why independent Baptists? We're, we're that way. Say, why is the church a soul winning church? Why are we running buses? Why, why do we cry aloud and spare not? Because we're that way. Why do we avoid the very appearance of evil? Because we're that way. Why do we get so stirred up and so excited as we await the second coming of Christ and in anticipation of heaven? It's because we are that way. Why do we come together and rejoice so much tonight that we can have uh, the popcorn testimonies 
uh, like we had a little bit ago. Why, why is that? Because we are that way. Why do we live distinctively separated godly lives because we're that way? Why do we tithe and give? Well, we're that way. You see, that, that way is the legacy of those who embrace the way, the truth, and the life. That way is the crowd who salutes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and does so gladly. I saw these two little words tucked together here twice in this passage. And it just spoke volumes to me. I said, a lot of things we don't do, we don't do because we're that way. We are the way we are. Why, why are we the way we are? Because of our attachment to Him who is the way. And because He is the way, you and I will continue to be that way. Day after day and year after year, we'll be that way. When we find out what the way is, well, it paves the way for us to be that way. And I'm telling you, these are exciting days. I'm telling you, with our nation and all the mess that it's in, with all of the struggle, all of the headaches, all of the heartaches, you and I need to be the most unintimidated people in town. We ought to be the most encouraged people. We, we ought to be the people who get up every morning, thank God for what we have in Christ, uh, salute Him, read our Bible every day, and just ask Him to feed us and nourish us with it. And every single day that we live and breathe, determine that somehow we're going to try to be a blessing to somebody and get the message to somebody who needs to hear it. Every single day, every single day, there's somebody in my path, somebody in your path, who needs to hear what we have to say. You say, well, why would we do that? We're that way. We're that way. Why, why, why are we going to be back come Wednesday night? We're that way. Why, why are we going to be at the task? We're that way, dear friends. And that way, that term, it defines us. Sometimes people may hurl it at us and try to defame us. But we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll hang on to it. We're not going to quit calling ourselves Christians. We're not going to keep saying, oh, we're, we're not real. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep lining up and just say, love me or loathe me. We are that way. God bless you. Stand up with me, please. We'll pray together.